Hi, I'm Richard Q, and this is my podcast, Electric Communion, Conversations in Clubland. The dance music industry, like the entertainment industry as a whole, is a hard nut to crack for those wanting to carve out a full-time career. In the digital age, it seems like everyone's a DJ, myself included. In most cases, apart from the few lucky ones, you need the production chops and a string of bona fide releases under your belt to actually get anywhere these days. You could always try your hand at promoting your own night, but that's certainly a surefire way of getting yourself on the bill, but it's still not always easy. The idea for this podcast was born out of the desire to talk with some of these people who are out there trying to make it. Through frank and open conversations, I aim to find out more about the challenges they face, the successes they've had, the highs, the lows, what motivates them, as well as hopefully gleaning some advice along the way for those listeners aspiring to make it out there themselves. Electric Communion. Conversations in Clubland. Hello and welcome to my first Electric Communion podcast, Conversations in Clubland. I'm sitting here in the home studio of producer, DJ, promoter, James Flavel. And um, we're in Brighton, just down the road actually for myself. I guess just for the uh, context of listeners, I mean, we this is not the first time we've met. Uh, we met, when was it? I think in maybe February this year. Yeah, one of, one I think your, so, yeah. One of your Avoy nights, which we'll, we'll talk about later. And yeah, I guess we, you know, we connected through the love of electronic music. And um, yeah, here we are now. You're a producer, you're a DJ, you're a promoter. Would you kind of say in that order in regards to kind of priorities? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I'm a producer first. Um, the the promoting side of things is something that's quite new to me, and I've kept you know I've kept, I've kept it in my hometown and kept it quite small and haven't taken too many risks with that um, yet. Uh, something I'd like to do, but yeah, the production is where my heart is, and it's where I hundred percent spend most of my time. Um, I'd I, I I still think people can. DJ and not not produce but I think it's 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 more difficult and the people that are doing that um sort of found their feet in an era where it was more common anyway so they're sort of you know people again people like Dixon um they've earned their stripes so much that they don't have to touch a piece of music again mm. they've just such tastemakers in the scene that people will continually go and see them DJ and I think that's something that should definitely still remain because there's a lot of pressure with like oh, if you haven't made any tracks like are you worth your salt as a DJ when mm. I think you really can be and often producing can actually you know take so much time that you might take your eye off the DJing game so yeah mm. I mean they definitely go hand in hand together now don't we I mean it does seem that to kind of I don't know uh, be a success in the in the kind of world of DJing um, you do need to produce. Yeah, I think I've spoken to a lot of people about this um, recently and like, you know, I have had some success in releasing tracks and, and producing and um, having some of my tracks played out at, at, in, in sort of bigger circuits. Um, but I haven't been as successful in terms of going out like getting gigs and there's also people the other way around where they're getting gigs but they wish they you know were better at producing or have you know had tracks out on labels but I, I genuinely don't think 
that you need to pick one or the other. You just have to go with your kind of, if you gravitate more towards producing, then the DJing will come later. And if it's the other way around, then you're getting the big crowds from DJ. And then those crowds that you're getting are only going to be more excited when you suddenly start making music. So Just for the benefit of the listeners, I mean, tell us a bit more about the kind of, music you produce in regards to you know genres of music is it one specific genre or are you quite versatile and you like to experiment with different genres yeah i mean in short i don't really know i would yeah let's say it's more on the a melodic emotive techno side of things but there's also kind of definitely a more house element to my music but when it comes to production I, i'm not a type of producer that will sit down and be like i want to make a track that's sounds like this artist or is or let's aim to get a track on innovations as much as that would be amazing like they're always a year or two years ahead yeah. of the ahead of time when it comes to music anyway so i guess i don't really know until then my sounds only what it is on the last track and then the next track could be <laughs> a different sound so let's go back to the beginning a bit i mean in terms of um you being a producer kind of where did it all start i mean talk a little bit about um your younger days, because you're from Devon, right? Yeah, I'm from, um, well, actually, I was born up uh, towards this way, more in sort of Surrey, and then relocated down to Devon. Um, and I wasn't in uh, the sort of dance music lifestyle genre, whatever. Back then, I was playing in bands. I played, started playing drums when I was 10 years old, uh, joined some bands in school, eventually joined a band um, in the kind of punk rock and roll genre and we had a fair bit of success and we're touring and whatnot um and yeah once that band finally um finished uh i moved up to brighton yeah started getting into music production i was already into even when the band was still going i was sort of split between half my time listening to punk and rock and roll and the other time going out to see Dixon and Arm and whatever and going to parties in, in Bristol we used to get the train up and go to warehouse parties there and whatnot so I was kind of crossing over but even now apart from producing and DJing I don't listen to a huge amount of dance music sort of in my personal sort of life you know walking around with my headphones in it's usually something more in a rock or funk or whatever because I like to sort of give myself a break from that and but also take influences from those genres as well yeah you said about playing in a, a band tell us a little bit more about that then were you kind of making a little bit of a career at that yeah time? It, i was i mean we, we we did the whole circuit of playing you know your pubs and your small clubs and whatnot and we kind of got we got a booking agent after a while and pr agent and manager and whatnot and started touring pretty regularly and kind of it's funny because we were kind of a bit bigger in um like Europe, like, you know, Paris, we had a following, oh, okay. and uh, yeah, and, and France, Germany, Belgium. What was the band called? It was called Rat Attack. Okay. Did yeah. you have any album releases? Uh, we had a couple of EPs. We had like three EPs, and we were on the track to do an album, but our singer quit the band, which was a great shame. He kind of started going out with a girl that was a kind of took him off the track of what he wanted to do and uh, kind of manipulated his mind, a bit of a Yoko Ono. I was going to say the same yeah, yeah. Len and, Yoko yeah. Ono. And that, that, that kind of spun out of control a little bit, but it's, um, yeah, it's been a hard one to kind of get over because it was my dream since a 10-year-old playing, you know, my parents didn't even buy me a drum kit at the beginning. I was playing on like 
pots and pans and I remember having an old straw bin as a as a hi-hat and like doing that and they weren't you know they, even though my parents you know w- w- were doing well at the time and whatnot um they were like we're not going to get you a drum kit because you were serious about skateboarding and you were serious about football and then uh, you know and then once they saw that I was really serious about drumming they finally got me a drum kit um but yeah like with the, the band got all the way up to we did Red and Leeds Festival we were getting Radio 1 play um, and it felt like it was really on the cusp of something really really great Um, and yeah that kind of fell apart so once that finished I was like there was literally no point for me to stay in Devon apart from my family so I had a few friends that were up in uh, Brighton Uni and they said look like you know come up come up here and you know great music scene great food scene um because yeah I was working as a as a chef at the same time um so yeah I just took the punt and, and came up here and haven't really looked back so going back to melodic house what's the current state of the scene in the UK at the moment yeah I mean when I Maybe I was a little bit naive and I wasn't making connections with enough people. But I remember a couple of years ago thinking, God, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to pack up and move to Berlin to make this make this thing work. It kind of it doesn't exist here. You know, of course you get you get your big artists come in and play in super clubs, you know, fabric, print print works, whatever. But I was like, where's the ladder that I want to climb? You know, what where's the first run of the ladder? And more as I started networking and meeting people. I started realizing that there's some real sort of hidden gems um, in the in the UK scene, and promoters in London that also are artists as well are really sort of pushing things forward with that. You know, you've got you've got people like Nick Castle who have single handedly, you know, like Labyrinth is it's it's just straight up the biggest artists mm. in our in our genre, and all the parties make perfect sense and that's why they why they sell really well mm. um then um you know my good friends um the duo monica just released on um uh Red culture um and that's hard uh hard antoine's mm. label so he's really pushing things forward there's um uh, and those guys are from brighton as well aren't they yeah and yeah very good friends of mine owen um also came up made the journey up from Devon, so we're friends um, from there. But yeah, there's a lot of people pushing it forward and, and, and going. And I think like the more of us, everyone that I've met is really cool and you know nice and giving me advice. And to be able to get a scene together like that, it's only going to grow bigger as um, everyone keeps doing more, more parties, booking decent artists, investing yeah. in the parties themselves. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a, a big fan myself and I kind of play that music and, just from following DJs, producers on Instagram, you know, you do get the kind of feeling that it's much bigger on the continent, but mm. it does seem to be changing literally over the, the course of the last six months. I mean, you know, we've seen uh, quite a few big DJs either uh, played in London over the last six months or they're going to be playing. We've got um, Arm and Ivory, uh, not so Arm and Trick, yeah. um, which we've We've got tickets for, and then we've got Ivory, yeah. and that suddenly seems to be this kind of explosion yeah. of these artists. Yeah, and there you go. You've just 
named labyrinth parties mm. so <laughs> they're the kind of <laughs> the brand to look out for um but yeah of course i think there's a lot of risk um i mean lo- the thing with london is like you can sell out a night or the night could be a flop because x y and z other djs are playing next door um whereas in brighton if i put one of those djs you've just named there's not going to be a competitor in that genre playing over the road, but also we don't have at the moment enough people that are kind of into that scene to 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 make them worthwhile. Mm. So I guess I guess the London scene maybe only gets bigger and bigger because London will then be the the base or the place people that go to that aren't getting what they want from from their city. Electric communion. Conversations in Clubland. I guess this is a good time and I need to talk about your night, our boy. Mm. Um, how did that come about? When did that start? Um, when was the first one? Um, well, it was under a different name that originally, like, quite cheesy. I had the name, obviously, I'm Fade and the parties were going to be called Faded. And then I thought, you know, that kind of makes it sound like it's, it wasn't intentional, but it made it sound like it's about me, which I didn't want it to be. Of course, I put myself on the parties because like lots of people do, it's, you know, it's a, it's a chance to showcase yourself with that artist you're putting on and you're obviously going to network with them. Um, and so many people I've spoken to say, you know, if you, if you can't get the gigs elsewhere or you can't release the music, yeah. you know, do it do yourself. It yeah. yeah. So that's kind of venture for that. But yeah, shortly after that, um, I did one party, the faded one, uh, which we hosted um, Kadosh, um, which was really cool. He's a come producer over. from yeah. Israel, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's also the head honcho of the label. Yeah, Frau Blau. Frau Blau. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, really good example um, of bringing someone over that you're probably, you're not sure that they're going to pull a crowd or or the scene's big enough. And it wasn't, you know, it was an intimate party, but the people that wanted to be there really wanted to be there. And yeah, we didn't, we, we kept in touch. And obviously um, after that, we released uh collab EP together on his label, um, Fra Blau. So that track was called Matanot, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a couple of tracks, Matanot, um, then another one called Nelam, and then there was uh, the remixes by um, Zombies in Miami and Manpower. Um, and then my friends also <laughs> brought Manpower to uh, to Brighton, so it all kind of ties in quite nicely. But going back to the, um, the Avoy parties, after I did that one with Kadosh, I released a EP on Plan OB called uh, Avoy, um, and a voice stands for all versions of you. So the basis of the party is it's kind of like I felt like it was a it was a non-intimidating and by, by what I say is intimidating is sometimes people go very intense in terms of it's like techno and it's this or you know dress in black or that's the vibe or a very dark poster. We kind of made it a bit more like lighter like for example that the design each party had a had a different color usually favoring prettier colors um rather than sort of the, the dark moody vibe so um yeah that's kind of like the thing of like having the longer longer sets is um the idea that djs can start as one version of themselves as a dj and finish as a, as a different version 
And like you always book a, a DJ, talk about kind of what you're looking for in the DJs. Um, yeah, I mean, because it's a small party on a small budget, the idea is to really try and catch DJs that are on the up that if I book them now, then let's say in six months' time, they're going to be playing rooms 10 times bigger and they're going to be out of my budget. Although some of the DJs have become good friends of mine, so I'm always sure that they will <laughs> cut me a favour if they come back. But I mean, June's a good example of that, isn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah, that's, that's when we met, isn't it? In February, he was headlining. And, and from my point of view, I met him and I've been following since. His career seems to have just... His career tra trajectory just seems to have gone up and up and up. He's now playing... You know, all across the world. Yeah. He's in South America at the moment. Where he yeah, was, Mexico, yeah. Um, and 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 production-wise, he's he's been quite prolific, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll I'll invite someone to play, and then quite often I feel like when we start talking, that then that that DJ is going to be like a friend from from the off because mm. if they're because I let them know it's a small intimate party, and I'm not going to say I'm not using the word intimate to to mask the phrase. I can't really pay you or whatever. Like I pay as much as I possibly can and I spend out money on decorations and whatnot. But like, you know from the first part of the conversation that that, party, that, that person is playing it because they want to come and play bright on a, or they've heard good things about it or they've heard my music or one of the other residents' music we have. Um, so yeah, I guess it's a, it's a party for, for DJs to, to, you know, play to play to a crowd that they you know they want to play to so so talk about Avoy you I think you mentioned it earlier you've got a track called Avoy yeah shall we play that track now yeah let's go for it So that was Avoy, um, came out on Plana B Records la late last year, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it was September 21, yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit about that track? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, 
I remember that track I was on. This isn't something I usually do. I usually get rid of tracks, but I was persistent on this one. If it wasn't working, I was on like Avoy version 13 or something. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was getting to the point where I was like, this isn't going to, this isn't going to get there for me. But then I think I tried one more synth um or something something just shifted the whole mix and made it sound made it sound cool um and then at that point i sent it to sent it to a friend of mine um uh, vicent uh who is the owner of plano b uh the brazilian label although he uh, now lives in lisbon um really cool guy we spoke loads in in lockdown um and yeah, he he wanted to release the track on his label, um, among with one more other track that I did and um, remixes by Martin Tanner on both uh, both of the tracks, which is really cool. We were only planning to do one remix um, with him and then seek out another producer to do the second remix, but um, we sent him both the tracks and we were expecting to, him to pick one um, and give us. A remix based on the one he liked but he sent us back two incredible remixes in the space of like a day or two and we were like that's all we need i don't, actually don't want to send it to anyone else to remix because both remixes were so different and so good and so unique and the production level was just insane that we decided to do it um as a basically like fade and martin tanner is in he's on the remixes and i'm on the originals um and yeah that came out and got yeah got really good feedback on it and it's kind of quite different to some of the other tracks i've produced um but yeah again with each release the kind of sound changes a little bit yeah no i'm a big fan of martin tanner actually um i, I definitely you know, check check some of his stuff out. I think it was a free track EP that I released recently that, yeah, it's just an absolute banger. I mean, you you touched upon obviously sending out to labels. I'm always interested, um, you know, kind of the process. You've, you've got a track, you, you're happy with it, you want it released. Do you send it out to the label that you, you know, you ideally want it to be released on is that how it works and you wait and if they kind of knock you bite you then go on to another label um yeah i mean all the advice that i've ever got suggests that you shouldn't you have to play the waiting game and you send it to um send it to the label that you want big or small um and then at least wait till they've listened to it if you don't get a response you know you what everyone's time frame might be different but let's say for example you don't get a response in two weeks because a lot of these label owners and certainly if they're djs as well are very busy and it takes them a long time to um to properly listen or listen a, a first second third time um or quite often the test will be you know how does it perform in front of a crowd they'll play it in their sets um so yeah you have to be incredibly patient i think that's something i'm really getting used to um in the sort of success of my previous band it was a very very um steady climb and in this djing world it's kind of one thing happens and then it's a case of just waiting and then 
something else might happen. It might not be as big. And then you're going back down to what feels like you're starting off again and then something else. So the kind of patience thing really pays off when you're um, sending music to labels. And often they say, you know, even such thing as like putting it on SoundCloud as a private link, making sure that it has virtually zero plays because there's this kind of exclusivity rule in the genre of you know if if someone else has heard it then it's 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 not you know it's like finding gold for the first time with some of this stuff which i don't really know what to think about at the end of the day like i'm not the sort of person that's like oh if someone else has heard it then it's not it's not valuable but some some people see it as like an exclusive rights thing so yeah make a track always sit with it for a fair while because again like i've made the mistake before of sending stuff to labels that i'm actually not happy with Mm. um and then in ways you're like it's weird i've sent stuff to labels before and almost been like i sent it to you two weeks ago now i really wish i could fix this and fix that and i've changed the arrangement and i actually don't want you to respond to me because (laughs) it's not good enough (laughs) so yeah We've just been joined by <laughs> James's beautiful, beautiful cat, Malcolm, yeah, isn't Malcolm. it? I mean, I, I think we just need to take some time to talk about Malcolm because I've been here a few times in the studio and he kind of <laughs> hangs out. What what kind of cat is he? He's absolutely amazing. So he's a British blue short hair and he's literally my son. And he um, he's my main little uh, producer, right-hand man. He sits with me all the time in the studio and he's a big support and <laughs> yeah, very it's a shame sure that, that you I... actually can't can't see him right now, but we need to take a picture of Malcolm and maybe yeah. put it up. Well, he actually does feature on quite a lot of my social media posts. Yep. Um that's probably the ones that get the most <laughs> most likes. Cat, cats on Instagram, but he does have an Instagram, Lord Malcolm the Blue, if you want to check it out. <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, we're talking. You just mentioned social media, so why don't we talk about that now? Obviously, it's kind of a big thing now, as a producer or, or an artist. You know, you got to kind of really push the social media thing if you kind of want to make a success. I mean, would you agree? And I mean, what's yeah? What, what's mean, your take on it? Do you enjoy the whole kind of social media thing, or do you find I it a bit of a chore? I don't. I. I through years of being in creative industries, whether it's, you know, music, food or, you know, whatnot, like I and my, my my partner's a stylist and a photographer herself, so she helps me a lot. But, like, I feel like I'm quite good at it, but I can't do the, um, don't want to call it the cringy side, but the side where you're just showboating more than you have to. Like, I really if I've got a track out if I'm playing or whatever if I've got something really great to share I will share it but I won't if someone says oh the Instagram algorithm says you have to do three posts a day now and two reels I'm not (laughs) I'm not doing enough unless you want to see three reels of my cat which probably could actually get my success a bit (laughs) further um yeah I don't yeah I I I I mean do you think that do you think that promoters you know that's kind of one of the first things that they look at your 
your Instagram profile, how many followers you've got, yeah. and they base whether they want to book you on that. Yeah, is that the, 100%, is that reality? Hundred percent. Like it's if you've got that many followers, you might have that many fans, and they might that then they might come to the gig. And which a promoter, like I fully understand. It's like anything, like you know, like if you want to fill a restaurant and the chef's more known, like it's going to help, like all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, like even people that pe- pick people on on the amount of followers, they'd struggle to defend that that's a good thing for music because mm. it, it, I, I don't know how it can be in any capacity because you're going to miss out on all these people that are in the studio creating really good stuff. They're maybe, they're maybe shy. They maybe don't have the that the, the technology know-how but maybe they have like the way around the synthesizer is like second to none and you will miss out on those people like breaking through and this this idea that you have to have that side to you and you have to have in some ways a level of vanity in your day-to-day sort of life to be able to go this is me or this is what I'm wearing or this is what I'm doing or the conscious thought to just be like, people need to see this when anything before, for example, obviously like we've touched on me working as a chef, like people don't even think now about getting the food and just eating it. They don't think about going to a gig and just experience it. Like, you know, prime example being, you know, We've, we've joked about it before about like you know saying to DJs what's your p- favourite phone to play to like you know when they're playing in print works you're playing to yeah. 5,000 5, phones yeah. like it's just that that's the world we live in and you can't avoid it so there's no point uh, you know I'm going to sound like a six year old man if I'm bitching and moaning <laughs> about it so I'm part of it I'm involved Will I be getting a TikTok tomorrow? Don't know. Ask me in two weeks. Probably, yeah, because your arm is twisted. You're forced into a corner. And that is just <laughs> the world we live in. Okay, watch this space, listeners, then. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're doing the dance. TikTok, yeah. I'd like to see that. I'd definitely pay for that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you talked about chefing. We put touching it before. I mean, talk a little bit about more. Well, you you trained as a chef? Um, no, nah, not really, to be fair. It's, not, it's actually not something that I massively wanted to do I kind of just fell into it I remember going for a job at a um, summer job at um, like a, a a water park type place active adventure park and I wanted to work on the slides for a few weeks whilst I was off between school and college and they were like we don't have any space anymore but there's room in the kitchen and I went to work in the kitchen and then someone says do you want to come and do some salads and then someone says do you want to come and work on starters and before you know it you're 15 years into a chefing career <laughs> and that's kind of what happened but um yeah I mean I worked my way all the way up to being a head chef of a restaurant here in Brighton um and yeah food has loads of similarities with music in terms of you know you're putting if you're putting a track together or putting a dish together there's ingredients some of them work together some of them sing some of them are easy to make work some of them don't work at all um and I'm both self-taught in the chefing world and the music world. And in both respects, you know, they've got pros and cons. Like, sometimes I feel like I've really found the the hard way around of making making something work. But I've also found a way that makes my sound or my food more unique. 
Mm. And you, you're not chefing now. Were you for quite some time? You were kind of balancing mm. between being a, a head chef, weren't you, in yeah. a, this restaurant that you talked about, and obviously doing your production. And now you've kind of put the chefing on the kind of back burner, mm. so to speak. Yeah, I mean the the idea. And the last job I took, because it was more of a daytime restaurant, doing some events and pop-ups and whatnot, but the idea was to get out of, you know, high-end dining that's going till 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, because for obvious reasons, that's completely not compatible with a, a, a job that, you know, DJing that you also have to work within those hours. Um, so, yeah, I thought that doing this, this most recent chefing job that I could sort of finish at five o'clock, come home and produce till whenever. But it became, because I became so invested in it, um, it became so exhausting that even when coming home, I kind of kind of st stumble up the hill with exhaustion and kind of drop down on the sofa. And because I'd been running a, a kitchen pass for so long and, and delegating and speaking to five, six other chefs, my mind then couldn't get onto Ableton and start, producing music because I was spent in terms of that mental and physical capacity that yeah I just realized that something had to give so handed in my notice as a um a head chef and now I'm putting 90% of my time into production and trying to navigate around the kind of scene in general of you know networking speaking to more people because you know what happened is you will say to someone you know like, I'd love to um you know love to play your party or can I send you a press pack and the response really often would be you know I'll just just come to the party on Saturday and come and say hello come and find me and that that's really what you want to do you want to be fresh in the promoter's memory um and my answer was always no I can't I'm working well mm. I'm working the Sunday morning so I'm not I'm not going to London to possibly not get back till five in the morning to work at eight in a very demanding job. So yeah, something I had to give. I work super hard in hospitality and now I'm enjoying the the benefits of working so hard, giving myself some time and space to passionately commit myself to music for at least six months before going on to anything else. Electric Communion, conversations in Clubland. I think probably this is a good time to kind of delve into more about your production, uh, your, your approach to production. So you said then you were self-taught and, and you've been doing it for about 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I hear a lot. Obviously, I'm not a producer myself. I hear a lot about the word workflow. And I kind of think I've got a, some understanding. Could, could you kind of just explain a little bit more about what that kind of means and what your workflow looks like? Yeah, I mean, so I used to... So I started working on uh, Logic at the beginning and that was good and whatnot. But then I kind of, I was speaking to more producers and friends and, and they were kind of singing the praises of Ableton and talking about the workflow and the, the creativity and the kind of very adaptive style it has in terms of capturing things in, re in real time. So I, I did a course um, to sort of, ease the transition from one to the other because they, they are quite different. There's similarities with all um, all doors, all the softwares. But um, yeah, I did the course in Ableton and started progressing on that. And I've been on Ableton now for about five years. Um, so just for those people who, who maybe don't are not familiar with Ableton, it's it's a piece of software, right? Yeah. 
yeah, so it's a piece of it's called Ableton Live. It's a piece of software. I mean, I don't. I, I know the guys that developed it are producers themselves. I can't remember who they produce for now. I'll be kicking myself because I'll, I'll remember it later. Um, but yeah, the, the software is just insane. It's it's genius. Like the stock plugins, it it all looks very very simple. It almost looks kind of eighties esque in its in its kind of presentation, but there's a lot going on underneath the hood, so to speak. It's it's very well orchestrated software. Um, where for me personally, like I produce mainly inside the box, which means not using much um, sort of external hardware. I've got a few bits in the studio, but I um, the the main stuff that I use that's not inside the box is more. Um, percussive things like you know i've got hi-hat like being a drummer like it makes sense for me to grab a drumstick and and hit stuff like it's actually some i'm in, in any sort of musician capacity that's you know something that i can call myself qualified as so shakers um we've got a cool shop down in brighton called the african african drum shop i think it's called and i've got i've gone and got bongos and shakers and they're in the studio here and I and I use them as much as I can but in terms of like synths and whatnot um I use a lot of the Aturia plugins did you see a lot of like producers you know in their studio they got racks of keyboards yeah. and and what you're saying is that you, you don't really kind of go for that approach really so that yeah. in, in the box means just kind of you utilizing the stuff within Ableton and the yeah. kind of software that you can download. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so it's like there's stuff within Ableton and then there's external plugins. Um, and it really is like a, a, a minefield of, you know, that, that, that there's, just, there's just so much. And you would have seen it from even like the recent Black Friday sales. It's like you can have this and this and this and this discount. And it's just like, I think you need to find a few tools that work for you and just work with them consistently. Um, even if they're not like high-end plugins, like you will find a way to make them suit your sort of style and and sound good. Um, so yeah, that's my kind of, my workflow is, I'd say in terms of creating a track, like I, I lean towards drum elements first but I really don't need much more than a kick and a hi-hat to start kind of building something up um so that that's how you kind of work you start with the drum you don't ever kind of start with a melody is it is do you have something no. kind of your head or do you just literally start playing about on Ableton with kind of drums etc and go from there yeah I mean I would what I would usually do is I might I might take some inspiration from like um, a sample pack just to get like a vibe going. I might end up replacing those sounds with some live bits and bobs, but sample packs are really great to be like, you know, let, let's say for example, like, I don't know, I've been listening to Kind Music or something. I mean, we obviously went to see them the other day and you were in a real vibe for making some of that tribal, more Afro house or something a bit more pumping or sort of cross genre. And you're like, right, where can I start? Instead of getting the bongo off the wall, I'm just going to grab one of the loops from Rampers sample pack, put a kick drum over it and be like, 
let's create a vibe. And then if at the end of the day, I'm like, right, I'm not exactly just going to leave that on there because I know that that's the exact bongo loop from a big track of theirs. So I will take my bongo drum that I have here and recreate it or get an Ableton drum rack up and start messing around with sounds. Um, but yeah, essentially there's really... There's no rules. It's completely different to, you know, being in a band and there's, you know, we had a drummer, a bassist, a guitarist and a singer. And it's like you stick to, you stick to, you know, what you're in front of your instrument and you, and you go for it. And then you create a sound. But with this, it's almost like there's almost too many possibilities. So I understand that one of the inspirations for one of your biggest tracks was what came about just sifting through sample packs in Ableton. Yeah, I mean... I remember getting like some off the cuff tribal vocal pack from. Uh, I always look for ones that aren't really super well known, sort of. So I'll go right down if I search tribal vocal on Google, I'll go to like page 20 and just find some random one that someone's put up. But I was skipping through some of the sort of one shot vocals and um, I found the, the vocal, the vocal snippets that built the um the track gunner that i had that came out on still for talent which um i initially initially started off and then sent to uh the producers uh both argentinian producers brigado crew and uber um and they sort of developed the track and then eventually we got it released on still for talent but that was kind of the uh the snippets of the kind of um tribal african-esque vocal um were just small samples from a, a huge pack um, that really just shows the benefit of painstakingly going through every single one and finding the sort of the gem in there and trialing it with some instruments and it can often lead you to, yeah, spark some amazing creative ideas. Yeah, let's play that track now. been a producer for 10 years now you said how in that time has kind of your approach to production evolved yeah i mean 
yeah, it's, it's been like 10 years since I first probably downloaded my first serious bit of music production software and 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 tried to create a whole a whole piece of music but officially maybe like as what I would consider myself an artist um probably like the last like five six years I've really sort of started consciously thinking about you know, like the progression of my music and where it's going to go and what labels I want to send to. I'd say probably now I've relaxed into it a little bit more and realised that everything doesn't have to be perfect to to be able to achieve the results of, you know, a, a good track that people will listen to. Like one person, massive inspiration to me is Jimmy Jules. Um, in lockdown, I... Um, watched his masterclass on 343 Labs. They did a lot of producer masterclasses that really helped me sort of get through lockdown. There was one with Era, there was one with um, Toto Chiavetta. Um, yeah, like I said, Jimmy Jules. Um, and they were great because you sort of get an inside view of how those producers create tracks. And there's, there's people that are super technical and there's other people that resonated more with me, like like Jimmy Jules, who has this kind of DIY, almost punk attitude to making music in terms of like, you know, they don't record something in and try and make it sit perfectly in the mix in the first, you know, first like five minutes of recording it and start EQing and compressing. It's more about just capturing a feeling. And he describes it as um, the mess and this kind of like... Um, getting you know finding sort of beauty in the chaos and whatnot where he'll just hit record and just play and mess around and turn anything into an instrument grabbing a microphone and flicking the light switch on and off running a drumstick along like a ceiling fan it could be anything mm. just to create some sort of musical effect um and that's why his music is so unique and so dynamic because it's not all just digitally created and yeah. perfected and quantized. It's off the cuff. And originally when I first listened to his tracks, I thought he must be going through this amazing technical process to get those results. And then I saw the view inside his Ableton and it was like stuff going into the, the red, stuff clipping, stuff distorting all the things that I thought was an absolute no-no yeah. is a way that he got his sounds. So really, in some respects, of course, there's some mistakes that, you know, are not going to be beneficial when you start playing stuff out in big sound systems. But this having sort of no rules outlook on it, it really helped me a lot to start really sort of letting loose and, and you know, creating stuff that's, that's natural and not in the mindset of this has to be release worthy the second I record it in. Mm. And something that I know I've seen on Instagram, your Instagram, you, you've got a field recorder now and you're kind of yeah. going out there trying to record more kind of organic sounds. How is that going? Have you kind of introduced those into some of your tracks? Yeah, I mean, um, like I said before, being a drummer, like I get very frustrated with the musical theory side of things and, you know, getting that melodic side down. And that's that's often a reason why I discard some tracks because they've got a great rhythm and whatnot, but I can't get that, that feeling, that melodic vibe into it. But when it comes to the progressive side, 
I'll grab some drumsticks. I'll take my field recorder out. I'll go to the last time I went to a local park and it had railings, it had bins, it had metal bins, plastic bins, like all these different sounds. And they all have their own their own reverb essentially from the sort of the the atmosphere around them. Like, you know, if you smack a bin that's, you know, close to a wall, it's gonna have a different vibe to hitting a railing that's just by the water or whatever there's all these different sound reflections that you can can capture and uh rustling leaves anything and i like to just dot them through my productions now and essentially if you record if you record a sound go out there it's it's unique it's got its own Mm. unique you know material it's not there's there might be something kind of similar but it's not going to be exact so that's what i like about that and a good example of what we're talking about is your latest track, Celebrating Rain. Yeah. Um, because you recorded on a very rainy day outside your house. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that track, yeah, like I said on, as I did an Instagram post, like that track probably w- wouldn't exist if it didn't, if it wasn't for that rainy day like there is a um you can hear it more in the break but it continues through the whole track there's like the sound of the the rain in there and a couple of other like dripping sounds and i think like a splashing in a in the puddle that was created from the rain it was like torrential it was like next (laughs) level and i know that that day i cancelled plans and was gonna go out so that's just an example of like capturing typical rainy day yeah a feeling but it came out to be fair as like quite like a club based track but it's based off that kind of that feeling that melodic like dark slightly darker energy but with a kind of hopeful twist in the sound that um yeah and the the kind of the the mix down on that track like i wasn't quite getting it where i needed it to be like i mixed it down okay but it just sounded like too nice a bit too sterile a bit too flat so i ended up sending that to um mateo who does the uh quite a few of the mix downs for ivory because i I wanted that kind of sound that's almost not too polished but also very um it's quite forward it's quite you know like when it comes on you know it's a track of Mm. that that you know that that it is kind of like listen up your ears are going to perk up you need to be back on the dance floor if you know you're getting a drink or you're getting to the toilet so like i went with him for the mix down and um the label mastered it and it just came out fantastic can you tell me a bit about what that means the term mix down because i'm surprised because i thought obviously ivory for those people who don't know is uh, really on the top of his game at the moment is just released an album called feeling on inner visions which is a big Berlin label headed up by uh, Dixon. We've talked about him before and Arm, uh, Christian and Frank. Um, I thought, I again, I'm not really, uh, I, I don't really know much about produ- producing myself, but uh, I thought that that's something that you do yourself. Um, well, I mean, this is, the fit, this is why I've got bogged down in music before because I've been in the mindset of like, oh, if I've arranged the track and I've recorded stuff, then I'd be selling myself short if I hadn't mixed it. But it's a completely different uh, craft in itself. It's a, it's a, it's it's working with 
frequencies and volumes and dynamics and quite often you want someone to mix your track that is listening on fresh ears and doesn't have that attachment to it and can just listen and go right this hi-hat's not wide enough or this isn't like that or punchy enough and it's it's, it's very similar to like a, a, a film if you've got a you know Brad Pitt stars in a film he doesn't then go and edit it and then color right. grade it and then press the 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 you know the final yeah. tape. You know, you know the film. So it's a case of just knowing what your your strengths are. Mine is the creative side. Yes, I'm trying to improve some of my mixing and 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 learn more technical skills. But you don't want to get to the stage where you're like, okay, I wrestled with mixing it for two weeks. Mm. I wasted two weeks. Now I don't like the track. Do you, you know? always get someone to mix them your tracks at the end? Uh, I've. Literally, I was trying to work this out the other day. I think I've nearly done about half and half. Half of my tracks I've mixed down. Uh, I've never, well, I don't master any of my own tracks. It's always it's always the label that does that and they have their own engineers they work with to kind of have that general label sound. Um, but, but yeah, sometimes mixes just fall into place. Sometimes you intentionally or unintentionally mix as you go along. And before you know it, all you need to do is get that final, um, you know, volume there to make it comparable with other tracks. And then you're away. But then sometimes I'm, yeah, like I, I use the word wrestling with it. It's like painstakingly going through. You feel like it's a complete tug of war, like you change one thing and then something else suffers and then you don't have the technical, um, you know, skill to to fix something so you become frustrated and, and then you might you might essentially get rid of a baseline that sounds too distorted or or too whatever but really if you'd sent it to a mix engineer uh, they they have the the knowing to to get it to where it needs to be so i think that's really important and recently i even did a um they did they did like a frank Wiedemann did a um a showcase like a masterclass type thing where they showed how they made their track the iconic track reg which springboarded them to the success we know them for now um and even they said they that went to a mix engineer and since then they've always worked with mix engineers and i always thought you know the yeah. the genius yeah. frank Wienerman, there's no way he would use the mix engineer but again it goes to show like <laughs> different skill set yeah frank Wienerman, uh one half the duo arm um, I, I've read a lot, or I've seen a lot again on social media, etc., about how producers often find it kind of really hard to kind of let go of a track to kind of finalise it. You know, there's when to say kind of enough's enough. Do you kind of have that problem? Yeah, I mean, I've literally got I've got a hard drive that I just refer to as the the graveyard. Now. <laughs> it's just, I mean, I. I I've made the mistake before of getting rid of something and then someone someone um, asked me, like, oh, if I've got any ideas that suit this or we could do a collab, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got this idea. And then I'm like, oh, no, I deleted that idea. So it just joins this massive, like, I think it's like two terabyte hard drive. It's just a bottomless pit of uh, mm. <laughs> ideas that I haven't finished. But Because I, I produce alone. I don't work with that many other artists in terms of the initial stages of creating a track I often I'm in conversation with myself only and that often will make me second guess things more than someone saying oh you know there's there's something in there that could work I might I might get rid of it um but yeah again through watching more masterclasses and stuff like that you realize that producers 
often do that yeah. and I, I used to be like oh, okay right I'm going to write five tracks and get frustrated if all five weren't good and now I'm you know I'm looking for the five in the 20 that I write that are, that are the ones to send out to labels have you ever kind of left a track for you know quite a long time thought kind of that was it you know and then return to it and then you know actually it's become one of the tracks that you released yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think my track um, "Wow," which is, I mean, lots of people say that's my best production today. It came out as one of my first releases on a local Brighton label, Dino Audio. But they were local, but they had a lot of lot of clout. Like it was played at, you know, uh, Burning Man and Nick Warren played at his Soundgarden parties. Um, but yeah, that was essentially like a track that I remember being just about to ditch. And then I worked with a music tutor that my friend recommended that was just had that kind of music theory head on them. And they, they helped me sort of navigate the scale that it was in and develop it and make it a little bit more of a, 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 a dramatic piece rather than a kind of single have a sort of single tone to it so that 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 was one that was nearly nearly in the graveyard <laughs> you you just talked about nick warren obviously a big dj um i mean to me it seems kind of these days the the kind of barometer for measuring whether your know, track is a success or not is whether a, a dj um of a kind of certain status like nick warren or we again we talked about dixon earlier you know kind of plays that track is is that kind of what you Hopefully, is that what all producers hope for? Um, I mean, I guess, really, that can make or break a track. Yeah, I think, well, you know, going back to what we were saying about, like, you know, social media and everyone, you know, DJs playing to just, like, a sea of phones and whatnot, it's like that. that is essentially what it feels like now in terms of, like, the audience are going to say, you know, the, these are the 10 big tracks that like the DJs will play them, but, you know, it's how much they get shared and promoted online that's going to that's gonna be testament to, you know, like what, what's going to be the next biggest thing or the or big producers or whatnot. You know, like prime example is like, you know, Jimmy Joel's City's on Fire. Like, you know, if it didn't, if, if people didn't film it and they weren't bothered and mm. it was one of the tracks that just fell by the wayside as much as it's an incredible track... It, it could have not been filmed a million times and put out there, but it was, and then it then it sort of then it sort of does that. But in terms of like the you know is it you know what we're looking for is yeah like hundred percent like if I have a bucket list it's you know there's a few things it's like re- release on this label, play to this size crowd, have a DJ of this caliber, aka your Dixon or your arm, play one of your tracks because it is it is the kind of confirmation that it's good because they get sent hundreds of thousands of yeah. tracks on the daily and it's the best of the best mm. so yeah I get, I, I'd be lying to say that it wouldn't mean a lot if someone like that played it but I think it would make more sense for me to be playing tracks that I've made myself to a crowd that's enjoying them I don't seem to become like apart from apart from Dixon. Like I don't I don't seem to follow people 
for massively long periods of time and and it like it's always evolving there's always like a, a newer thing but like i mean artists i love like i mean adam port we obviously know he's one third of uh kai music or one fourth should i say because resnick sometimes plays with them he's certainly a producer that this is the thing. I was going to say everything he touches is gold, but that's the stuff that they release. So yeah. it's really important to notice the stuff that goes on behind. And that's mm. sometimes the, the mind space I get myself into of, of like, oh yeah, they're better than me or whatever. But it's like, they'll have the hundred tracks they didn't release. But mm. um, yeah, aside from that, producer-wise, obviously, obviously it goes without saying now that like Ivory is just like, it's, it's weird because I... I don't love all of his tracks, but every single production, I can see the merit in yeah. it being amazing. Jimmy Jules just pushing the boundaries and, and you know, like, has a very close place in my heart when it comes to the kind of the punk music mm. side of things and doing that kind of bit more of a DIY sound. Mm. Um, Era, another Innovisions artist, mm. like, I absolutely love, like, you know, Ralph's, such a cool guy like you know my my good friends had him in brighton to play for their party and he was just like the most humble guy mm. scat man as well like a really unique sound like it's super super hard to sound unique mm. especially when we all we all look at what plugins each other use and you know because you hear something or you know the classic you know the, the the hardware synthesizers and yes you can get a million different sounds from them but it's, it's hard to stand out so that all those guys have just mentioned i feel that they stand out so mm. they're kind of my favorites you mentioned earlier then about kind of comparing yourself it's you know you find yourself often comparing yourself to other djs and i guess you know We've got to talk about mental health, obviously. We've come a long, long way. Um, much more open and understanding about kind of people's mental health and, you know, the pressure that people's work and, and, and life can kind of have on their mental health. And obviously in the fickle uh, business of, you know, music entertainment, um, you know, does it affect you, for instance, when you kind of see other people's work and, and, and life can kind of have on their mental health and um, when maybe their kind of career trajectory kind of maybe takes a, a different course to yours, maybe more successful, I, I, you know, kind of does that affect you and kind of how do you deal with it? Yeah, no, 100%. Like the, the kind of, I think the comparison thing is a never-ending void now of... The, it, it's chasing the horizon like you know it, it can go in, in any line of work like it can literally go to the point where you're the multi-millionaire but you're not the billionaire you've got a, a small boat and they've got a yacht like it, it just yeah. keeps going on there'll always be someone that appears better than you but what I've realized now I'm meeting more DJs is let's say that there's someone let's say there's a DJ that has been lucky enough to play fabric or something before but they still haven't They've only released. They've released like a track, but it's not on a label that they they see they deem as big enough. And then they're like, "Oh, I would really love to release on Stillville Talent." It's like, well, yeah, I've had that, but then I would also love to have something you have, i.e., like playing Fabric or something. So there's always like, I think more often than not, you realise that 
when you compare and think someone's better than you, you would, you know, if everyone put their problems in a big pot, you'd most likely rather come out with the ones you put in there because they'll always be you're usually much better off than you you deem to be, especially if someone like myself that is has his own studio and is is releasing music. But it's just I think for me it's it's my struggle is the 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 long the, the the amount of time it takes and the amount of dedication and the kind of the process is never easy um and like i said before it's ups and downs you'll have a release on a bigger label and then you might not have anything for ages and you and then your instagram followers might go up then they might go down and you know it's just you've got to be sort of grateful for for what you have mm-hmm. Okay, final question. Um, what kind of what's the future for Fade? What can we expect? What's coming up? Um, yeah, so my last release, Celebrating Rain, came out on uh, Mood Music, um, and from that, I've had some more interest from various labels, and it's kind of picking the right one to send music i'll probably send music to a few anyway because i've become friends with the, the people that run these labels but i'm just trying to trying to figure out what, what what's the best course of action for my next release because i've been i'm starting to become a bit more conscious that i would like to find a home label for like two or three releases um rather than jump into different labels you know know for every release so i'm trying to figure that out now like i'm always making music um just need to finalize some bits and i think i have a collection of tracks to send out and then yeah, just working on trying to trying to get some some bookings mm. um yeah I'm, I'm, it's my favorite bit is still djm without a doubt like i don't think i put enough energy into you know the maybe the networking and the getting the gigs but that is the that is the the ultimate goal, isn't it? To like play the, your music or other music you love and have people enjoy. Isn't no better energy than the actual dance floor and DJ and the crowd feeding off each other? So I want to kind of get in, into that space a bit more. Cool. And so, if listeners out there want to kind of follow you, where can they find you? Uh, yes, yeah, so on the old usual um, platforms. Facebook is at um, so forward slash fade music got instagram fade underscore music soundcloud is um forward slash fade music so yeah just follow me there i'm also obviously on spotify all my releases and beatport so if you can support any of my tracks um it's hugely appreciated right well thank you very much fade thank Thank you. you for being my guinea pig on the first Electric Communion Conversation in Clubland podcast. Hopefully the first of many. And yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. And I really appreciate any feedback. You can follow me for updates on future podcasts at the Instagram handle at electric underscore communion. You can also follow me on SoundCloud where you can hear past mixes that I've done, past radio shows. That's soundcloud.com forward slash richard underscore q and finally you can catch me every second and fourth wednesday of the month 6 p.m till 8 p.m on brighton's radio show called south fm electric communion conversations in clubland